Hello, hello. Welcome back to the How I Met Myself podcast. I'm Jessica, your host. I want to start by just saying thank you for tuning in. It really means so much to me to be able to connect with you in this way. I know there are so many shows to listen to, YouTube channels to consume, there's music, there's quiet. And so the fact that you are choosing this podcast touches me in a very, very special way. So thank you. On the show today, I am interviewing Chrissy MJ Anderson. She is a certified meditation teacher and Reiki practitioner. She also manages the Mindry, which is the meditation studio that I go to in Malibu. If you listened to episode two, then you heard me talk about the studio and how it really changed the game for me in terms of my ability to meditate. I've had the chance to take a few of Chrissy's classes, including a candlelit and kind of spooky, spooky in a good way, All Hallows Eve ceremony this past October. I went with my husband, and it was not only a welcome change to our typical date night plans, but I also got to experience the magic of participating in one of Chrissy's share circles, which you'll hear more about toward the end of this episode. Chrissy brings a bright, calming energy to the room. So when I tell you that she suffered from severe depression, you might think I'm talking about a different person entirely. In today's episode, Chrissy joins me to talk about her two-year-long battle with depression, how she found healing through meditation, and how it ultimately led her to her purpose. In her very first meditation class, she experienced a release so powerful that she knew immediately that this was her path to recovery. And not only did she experience relief from the crippling symptoms she had been dealing with for two years, but she also found community and something greater than herself in that studio. This is a very candid conversation about mental health. As someone who has experienced bouts of depression and anxiety at different times in my life, I was nodding along throughout the interview. Her story is one of faith that we can always heal and that we're always healing. She talks about the modalities that helped her and that she now teaches, including traditional meditation, yoga nidra, and reiki. And she also talks about how she incorporates crystals to enhance these practices. Before we move on to the interview, I do want to say one thing. If you are struggling with mental health, please know you are not alone. In Chrissy's story, you will hear about her incredibly supportive mom and boyfriend who helped advocate for her mental health and made sure she was getting the help she needed. I know not everyone has this kind of support. If you need help, know that there is no shame in reaching out for support. If not to a friend or family, reach out to an organization that provides mental health services. In the U.S., you can dial 988 if you need help. Someone is available to talk to you 24-7. And now, I want to welcome Chrissy onto the show. Hello, hello. I'm Jessica, and this is the How I Met Myself podcast, a show where we talk about the journey of self-discovery and finding your purpose in life. After years of feeling stuck, I finally found clarity around my purpose. Now, I'm going after my dream, sharing my story here, and bringing you conversations with healers and spiritual teachers to help inspire and guide you to your purpose. Join me and start building the life you're meant to live. Hello, Chrissy, and welcome (laughs) to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Before we jump in, I wanted to ask you just one question, just to kind of start things off with a little icebreaker. I was wondering if you could share a time in recent weeks where you felt completely at ease, in alignment, joyful, where were you? What were you doing? And, you know, it could be a leisure activity. It could be while you're working. You could be alone with other people. There are no rules here. 
So a big one for me was I had someone ask me the other day about being really stressed at work and they were saying something about their jobs and I, you know, I manage the mindry. And so someone said something to me about like, aren't you stressed? Blah, 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 with all you have to do. And it was funny. I had this moment where I was like, no, I'm not stressed. <laughs> I have a lot to do and I feel like I'm always adding more to my to-do list rather than checking off my to-do list. Right. But I don't find that I'm feeling particularly stressed. And I think that that was a moment of just kind of almost a realization of balance and a realization of just sort of contentment that gave me that, you know, that moment of ease where I just kind of was like, everything's fine. And that's sort of how I keep looking at things too, is as, as things start to like get a little stressful or I sort of feel any anxiety coming on as I just keep saying, okay, well, it's going to be fine. Like what's the worst that's going to happen here. And so I keep finding myself in those moments doing that. And I just had that sort of really beautiful realization in that moment. And then sort of have been kind of continuing to just think like, I want that to be always, I always want to feel that I'm kind of at ease or in alignment and sort of feel that balance. So I'm starting to kind of look at almost all my moments, like not just one, because I keep finding that there's just such an opportunity to, you know, for, for lack of a better way, or like, you know, with the cliche of just like being in the moment and just right. sort of feeling like everything is going to be okay. And so finding that contentment in each moment is just sort of where I found that, that ease. Oh my gosh. Wow. If if we could just all channel <laughs> that, that would be, I mean, I don't know if I actually do that all the time. <laughs> I think I'm more, you know, I think that it's more so that, uh, that thought process that's really helpful doesn't necessarily yeah. mean it's always going into play, but it's for sure something to, to, uh, to just kind of keep in the back of your mind, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, when you do find yourself in kind of a stressful moment, it's, it can be like a grounding practice to just recall that moment of ease that, that you experienced. Wow. I love Mm -hmm. that. Okay. Well, so I wanted to talk today about meditation. You are a meditation guide and, you know, and then I also want to talk a lot about mental health. I'd love to hear about your personal story, how, you initially found meditation and and why you started practicing and then your journey to actually becoming a meditation teacher. Yeah, it's a long story. <laughs> We've got time. <laughs> so I have always in my life and and you know you and I have talked about this already of the idea that like everybody struggles with mental health um issues just across the board. It's just a matter it's just a matter of whether I think to what degree. And I have had, you know, many ups and downs with depression and with anxiety um, since I was pretty much in high school um, and sort of not really understanding one, what it was or really how to deal with or cope with it. I mean, I started high school 20 years ago. I was, you know, and so that was 20 years ago. Nobody was really, I mean, people were a little bit, but nobody was really acknowledging what what that was, or people kind of thought that there was a problem if nobody wanted to talk about it with something like that. And so it was just sort of like, oh, okay, you know, an angsty teen sort of thing and, and those sort of moments. And so I didn't necessarily have a, um, a lot of outlets in that time. And so, you know, I just kind of coped, I guess, or did what I needed to do and was kind of grumpy and not that nice (laughs) a lot of the time. In college, it was the same thing. Um, And not really knowing necessarily what to, how to put my finger on it or for other people, how to really um, sort of understand what it was either. And I had always uh, had problems with like focus, concentration, procrastination, all that kind of stuff. And so as I got into my adulthood, I was... I used to work in the restaurant industry. And one of my first things that I did after college was I did a wine program at the Culinary Institute of America at Napa Valley. And so I was out there for a year. And when I first got out there, I was really having a hard time. And 
my primary care physician at home was just like, here, we'll give you an anti, like an SSRI. We'll give you an antidepressant. Here you go. And not much conversation other than that. And she just sort of like threw it out there and (laughs) prescribed it to me. Um, And I just sort of went with it. And so for into adulthood, um, I was living here. I lived in New York and then I moved back here and I just kept taking the same thing, but I wasn't good at taking it. Like I would miss it. And right. then I would. And so I had those, it was the same dose. It was the same thing. And it was just sort of like, oh, okay, I have this. And when I have bad moments, I'll pay attention to it. And I would have these big ups and downs. Like I would sort of feel like I was dropping into a really dark place for like two months, but I worked, you know, 70 hours a week managing yeah. restaurants. And so it was sort of like a put your game face on and get to work and do what you have to do. Yes. And <clears throat> that never, that's not a productive way to live in any capacity. And that industry also I found to be, and I think a lot of people will say this, was really toxic and it was really challenging. It's very uh, <laughs> male driven. And I was a very young leader in that industry. And as a female, that was very challenging. And so I think that I pushed through a lot of, I really fought through a lot more, I think, than most people would probably have wanted to in in that they're younger, you know, in their early 20s. And so when I was about 27, 28, I was really having a hard time. I kept sort of finding myself dropping a little bit deeper, a little bit darker. It's it's kind of hard to describe it, I think, for some people. Anyone who has experienced it or feels it, like that way to describe it, I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and I was barely getting any sleep. I was, you know, with the restaurant industry, you drink a lot and you go out a lot yeah. and you stay up really late and you do stupid things. Yeah, and... it's the lifestyle is <laughs> not exactly... Optimal for health or wellness or or anything in general. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just kind of kept dropping, kept dropping. And then all of a sudden I woke up one morning and I had that feeling like I couldn't get out of bed. That was it. I just felt like everything was crashing and falling in on me. And I just was, you know, huddled in bed. And I called my boyfriend at the time who was at work and I said, you have to call my boss and tell them I'm not coming into work. I can't come in. I can't get up. I can't do anything. You have to. And for him, I mean, he and my mom both really knew and sort of saw that that drop into a little bit of a darker place. And they had actually in the October of the year bef- of that of the year before. This all happened in January. In October, my mom was visiting and she said they took me out to dinner and they were like, "Listen, you either have to be better with the way that you're taking the medication." You have to go to a therapist. You have to talk to someone. You have to go see if maybe there's a different medication for you. You have to sort of take these steps. And obviously I did that. Well, I'm really busy guys. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And then January came and it was like done. I had, I had hit the point where of like no return. Right. And so my boyfriend called my boss and told him I wasn't coming in. I made him call my mom because I just felt so much shame and so much guilt. And I think that that's a really big part of depression as well for people, that shame of like weakness and feeling like you can't really, um, you can't face people because it's hard for a lot of people to understand it. Mm -hmm. And then you just feel like you're, you're weak and incapable and like not tough enough to get through it. Um, and so, and that's just, that makes it even, you know, it's like everything sort of piles on and like, no matter what, you can't really fight your way out of it. And so my boyfriend and my mom, they were incredible about like sort of jumping right into action. And they found me, my mom (laughs) called like every single psychiatrist in Los Angeles (laughs) to try and get me in like as soon as possible without sort of making it like, oh my God, we have to get her, like commit her kind of thing. Right, right. (laughs) And so a couple days later, I went to a psychiatrist and they changed my meds. When you start taking antidepressants and different mood stabilizers and things like that, 
it's really, really hard. Your brain chemistry is being being altered and messed with and it doesn't know, you know, your brain doesn't know what's happening. And yeah. so your body reacts poorly, you sleep poorly. Yeah, you can um, get like flu-like symptoms and yeah, it's- it, It's atrocious. It's, like it's not a good on ramp for sure. Yeah. This person that I went to see did not put me on the right medication either. So that was an even bigger thing. And so I ended up- in a two-year depressive episode where I was essentially at home. I never went back to that job, which that was a really hard thing for me to work with too. I literally just like never went back. And there's so much shame in that for me as well. Um, And so I just, for that whole first year, it was pretty much from January to November, finding medication for me that worked, finding the right cocktail, so to speak. And I, at the same time, was still still drinking, still, you know, I started really enjoying taking Xanax every single time. My anxiety would, would sort of flare and my anxiety during that time was so bad. Anytime I would fly back, my family's on the East coast. Every time I would fly back home, it would, it, I would like cancel my flight and I'd be like physically sick. And mm-hmm. I would have all of this anxiety that just got to a point where it was almost like debilitating debilitating completely. And I would, you know, my parents got to the point where they were like, okay, well, you know, we have this flight, but who knows when she's actually going to get here. Cause I would literally cancel flight after flight after flight. And during those two years, I, I, like I said, I wasn't really doing, I was trying to get better, but there was that, there was a block there. And that was just because I was so unwell. And I was really having a hard time facing everything and anything. Once we kind of hit just about two years, my boyfriend at the time and I were on a trip to San Diego and he had some friends that were, that were down there. And so we drove down and we were on our way back and I looked at him and I was like, we didn't fight or argue this whole entire weekend. Why? We're sitting in the car. We're like trying to think about it. And he goes, you didn't, you didn't drink the whole weekend. And I was like, I didn't. And he's like, no, you didn't have one drink the whole weekend. And I was like, that's really interesting. Okay. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. all right. And in that same day, I actually on the drive back had a um had a call with my psychiatrist who I found the best psychiatrist in the entire world. Um, who just she helped fix everything for me. She was my third one during this whole two years. And we were in the car, we were on the way back and I was talking to her and I explained that to her about, you know, not fighting and how I wasn't drinking. She was like, well, there's a really good thing to pay attention to number one. And she was like, but I also want you to try meditation. And I had tried to meditate. I think everybody tries to meditate. Yes. Um, my nice little air quotes. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, you find an app, you find a headspace or a calm or something like that. And you make an attempt to do it, but it's really hard to do it by yourself. And it's really hard to do it when you're experiencing any mental health issues in general. And so I, she was like, there's this meditation studio near your house. It's called the den. And I want you to go. And I just was like, oh God, okay. Uh, And then, you know, the anxiety starts to build again. And I had been really sedentary during those two years as well. So when I got home from the trip, I was like, okay, well, I haven't drank in a couple of days, so I'm not going to, and I'm going to see how that goes. So within the same about two weeks or so, I had put myself in a situation where I was playing a game with myself about, I stopped smoking weed. I stopped taking Xanax, like everything across the board all of the things that I was enjoying. I was like, (laughs) all right, we're not going to do them. And so I played the, I went a day. I went two days. I went a week. I went two weeks and I played that game all the way through. But at the same time, I fought through my anxiety. I went to the den. I had my first meditation class. And then in the same couple of weeks, I started moving my body. I started going to Pilates mm-hmm. and I started make, like actually getting my body moving. And I had a dog, um, have, and I have two dogs. Um, <laughs> and my, 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 my man at the time, my, my pup, he, he was like a big reason of why I like got out of bed during those two years because yeah. I had to take care of him. Right. And so 
that was also really helpful of like, I was like, all right, well, you know, we're going to walk, we're going to go on hikes, we're going to do all these things. So I started those three things all at once. And I think that my experience of meditation also wouldn't have been the same if I didn't do those, those other things with it. And do you know what I mean? And and I think they all kind of just sort of were this like really beautiful sort of trio of like, all right, you know, you have to do these things. Once I started, because that's a big part of mental health too. It's like those, there are all those blocks. It's impossible to get started because of your anxiety. And then you, once you just kind of do it and something feels good, or you have that aha moment, right? There are so many things that fall into place and there are, there was right around that time too, a couple of weeks before all of that started, I had had these feelings of like, I need to go to church or something. Mm-hmm. I grew up Catholic and I was like, I feel like I need church or something. This is, you know, I need something. I need something. And meditation mm-hmm. wasn't even like really on my radar. I didn't even know that this place existed a mile down right. the street from me. And so I was like, all right, well, I guess maybe I'll try to go to church. And so one afternoon I had like found this church on Fairfax, <laughs> going to go to this church and I had like called to verify the times I had checked the website. Cause I was also, I like figured out parking. Cause that was a big thing too, of like going places and not knowing where to park was really like caused so much anxiety for me. It's overwhelming. No, it, it is. is and when there's like, <laughs> when there's so many things that are holding you back from doing things, it's a perfect excuse to not do anything. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, all right, I have all these things mapped out. And I swear I went to church. I pulled in, nobody was in the parking lot. And I was like, this is weird. So I looked on my phone. It said the mass times. It was accurate mass time. Okay. And I was like, why is no one here? This is really strange. And so I got out of the car and I went and I went to pull the door open and it was locked. And I saw this, I saw on the little, you know, the little board or whatever outside. Right. And it said that there was supposed to be a mass during that time. And I was so confused. And I'm like, am I going crazy? And I walked around to the other door and I pulled that door was locked And so I went back to the car, I called, I listened to the recording, said there was a mass time and I'm like sitting in the car to myself and I'm like, this is so weird. Okay. (laughs) I guess I'm not supposed to go. So I went home and, and then when I went to my first meditation class at the den, I sat down, I was terrified and I sat in the back corner. I was like, so freaked out. And I sat down and I had this moment of just, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Mm -hmm. This is where I'm going to find something bigger than myself. This is where I'm going to find my, my divine, my, yeah, this is church, right? This is church. And so I'm like, I play that. I tell people that story and I'm like, I swear to God, it was the universe being like, this isn't it. This is not how you're going to get better this because I I didn't really subscribe to the Catholic church. You know what I mean? It just wasn't, it wasn't something that I necessarily was like on board with. Right. It just, it felt like the closest thing at the time to a pathway in, right? Because it was familiar. You had grown up with it. Exactly. And it was, it was that whole like, Oh, this is where I've meant. This is where I'm supposed to be. This is what, is going to help me. And I had had such a hard time sitting with myself over those, I mean, clearly for much longer than those two years, but for those two years, especially, and I sat down and I closed my eyes and it was an intention setting class or an intention class. And it was just like some, the first one I was like, all right, I can go, I'm going to go. It's not that early in the morning. It's not, you know, this is it. So it was, it was like, I closed my eyes. I was listening. I knew that I wasn't necessarily going to like drop into like deep state of meditation because that's not something that happens immediately for people. But I all of a sudden started seeing these colors. I started seeing purple and gold and like all of these things. And it was like, all of a sudden, everything dropped off my shoulders. Everything that I had been holding on to just like felt like it was melting. And I just started to, I get, it's crying, I guess, but I wasn't crying. It was like everything just released out 
And like, I have found that my, um, the way that a lot of my emotions manifest is through tears and like anger, frustration, all that kind of stuff. I'm realizing that that is actually how I express it. And so it was like every single feeling that I had been feeling for as long as I had been feeling it, it just started pouring out of me. And I sat in the class and I was going through this and I, and you know, afterwards I had this moment where I was like, this is, this is it. And it seems almost like a joke, sort of like you have that aha moment Like people are like, there's no way it was that easy and that simple. And I'm like, it, it was for me. It was, I found a community. I found a space. I felt safe. And I think that was a big part of it too, was like the den felt so safe immediately for me. And so mm. I just was like, I can be here. I had called ahead of time and like talked to this really nice girl on the phone and she gave me all this information. Yeah. And it was like, I set myself up to go and it was, it was so moving and incredible. And I don't even necessarily know if it was like about the practice itself. Like, I don't know if it was about meditation necessarily right at the beginning. I think right. it was that feeling of like, exactly what you said like this is church like this is it this is where I'm supposed to be and so long story short (laughs) that's how I found meditation oh wow okay (laughs) lots to unpack there I mean and you did a great job just sharing so much and thank you for being you know so open and honest about your experience you know, it's not easy to talk about mental health and, and to open up about that. So it does, it's, it, it means a lot, I think, to get that vulnerable and share it so publicly. What was it about the space that made you feel so safe? Was it something in the environment? Was it just the way the instructors were opening up the class? Was it the other people there? I think it was kind of a combination of everything. I think the initial call that I made, the girl on the phone was so just, she was so supportive right. in sort of giving me the information that I needed to come to the class, how to sign up, how to do all that stuff. Just like really letting me feel like I didn't need to figure things out and, you know, make it all happen and feel panicky about it. It was an easy process. It was close by. It was just, it was simple for me. So that was another, that was a big thing. I didn't have to drive very far. I didn't have to do anything. Parking was easy. Everything was sort of simple and the space in general, I mean, the Denon has since the brick and mortars have since closed. They've closed during the pandemic, but they do everything online now. The spaces themselves were just, it sort of felt like you were like in your living room, like yeah. just super cozy. The den, it was the best, the perfect name for it. Mm-hmm. And it just felt so cozy and safe in there. And especially for being on La Brea, like this busy, crazy street, it was like, you just walked into like this sanctuary and it wasn't, it didn't feel like you were in a place that you had to act a certain way. You yeah. walked in and you could kind of be yourself. And mm-hmm. the instructors were all were all very authentic and very genuine. And I think that when I sat in that first class, there were so many people in there and no one even batted an eye at me being emotional. No one even. And I think that that was a really big thing is every time I had been emotional previously, or like people knew that I wasn't well or something like that, it was always like, Oh God, what do we do with our type of reaction? Mm -hmm. And it was like, I think I went up to the teacher afterwards and like said something to her and she just like gave me a hug and it was, I'm a huge hugger. I just like, that's, (laughs) it's that, that connection is really important to me. And so I think that it was immediately like, oh, okay, this is a, this is a sanctuary for me. Yeah. And I had the, one of my teachers, I'll give her a little shout out, Jamie Wozni. She is, I did my Reiki certification with her and just spent a lot of time with her over the year or so that I was at the den before the pandemic hit. And she said in class one day, she was like, there's something special about us as meditation teachers. We are just people who have gone through a lot and we are people who are just as fucked up as the rest of you. (laughs) And if not more, and we have a story to tell and we have learned tools and techniques to help people. And we're just here to, to give that to people and to share that with people. And that's all we are. 
And I was not going back to the restaurant industry, obviously. And, and I just looked at her and I was sitting in that class and I was like, yeah, wait a sec. That's perfect. Exactly. And that's kind of what, what sort of pushed me in that direction. That's sort of what made the den feel really, really special. And it was just being in the same space with people that also had mental health problems or had lost loved ones, loved ones and were going through grief or people who, who were afraid or all of those feelings that cause people to just suffer for lack of a better expression was just, it was like, everybody was there. And I remember there was one time I was in a class and I was really crying in this class. And there was a girl sitting, a a woman sitting next to me and she just reached over and she just put her hand on my knee. And that was it. It was like this, we were, cause it was a packed class. We were sitting really close together and she just reached over. She put her hand on my knee and it was like this immediate, like we never, we never spoke. We didn't speak after class. We didn't speak, but it was this automatic, like she felt what she knew what I was feeling and what I was experiencing and it was just like this tap of like, you're not alone. Yeah. And that was, and people can find, obviously, you know, it, that's not unique, I think, just to the den, obviously. People right. can find that anywhere. I mean, especially, I mean, that's the community that's been created at the Mindry as well. It was one of the most touching and supportive moments that I've had. There is so much magic in community of people who are just trying to heal and trying to work towards being being better yeah and just and that's it right yeah everyone just spends time trying to be the best versions of themselves no matter what that looks like that's where everything gets that's where everything gets better yeah across the board and it's it's such a special experience to be in a room full of strangers and have this you know, complete stranger reach out to you in this caring, loving way, you know, how often do we experience that today? And so the fact that you found that through this meditation studio mm-hmm. is pretty phenomenal. And 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 yeah. it changed your life. I found, I talked about this in one of my earlier episodes, actually about, you know, kind of how I found meditation. And for me, it was really through the mindry that I was able to really have that aha moment with meditation. Mm-hmm. Cause I, like you had tried the apps and it just didn't <laughs> click for me, but having that in-person experience, the live experience really does make a difference. But I think you, you bring up a really good point, which is like, there's no judgment in that space. I think a lot of people are intimidated to go to a meditation studio because you kind of think like oh my gosh like I'm going to be among a bunch of gurus or people that like they meditate for eight hours a day and I've done an app maybe once and it didn't really work for me but I do find generally speaking that with these kinds of studios they're very approachable they're very welcoming and so obviously you had this initial experience and then presume you kept going. Can you just speak a little bit to how, as you sort of developed a more consistent practice, how that impacted your, you know, the depression that you had been experiencing? Yeah. So, uh, you know, being part of that community, I just sort of kept diving into it, right? Like you said, it wasn't the initial experience. It, It continued. And I started to volunteer at the studio. And then when I was like, okay, I think it's good to go like to work. I think that I'm feeling great. So I started working at the front desk and I started to do these things. And then, like I had said, um, when I first started, I did my Reiki certifications. And then I, you know, sort of felt like, okay, now what's my next step? And so I used that space as it, it sort of turned into my everything. It turned into my support. It turned into my, um, you know, my workspace. It turned into a place where I just, I could do so much and be myself and be so much. And like you said, with no judgment in those spaces. And that's, that I think just really set me up to just continue to, to do that. And I think a big part of it as well was just knowing that 
it was there always. Mm -hmm. And so I could keep going. And so I was there so much during that year. And it was fun to learn these different modalities. And I, I did everything. I took, I took yoga nidra. I learned about, you know, I did breath work. I had never experienced anything. So if the release you get from breath work, it's, it's that breath work to me can be intimidating. And I've done, <laughs> I've done it several times. And like, at this point, sometimes I'm like, it's, I can't, oh my gosh, it's too much. And yeah. that's what happens, right? You find those practices that work for you. And I, I did, I, I tried, you know, mindfulness. I tried, I mean, you just kind of get into this thing where everything is so fun and so exciting. And crystals actually ended up being sort of my biggest, my biggest love affair. And crystals, Reiki and yoga nidra were the practices that sort of all fell into place for me. I had very, very, profound healing experiences with those particular modalities. And now those are the modalities that I teach. And for people that don't know what those are, can you just kind of give a quick high level overview? Of course. So (laughs) um, Reiki in particular, Reiki means universal life force energy. And what it is, is a Japanese alternative healing modality that works with our energetic system. So one of the teachers that um, that works at the Mind Tree, she refers to it as an energetic massage, and I think that that's really an interesting way to describe it. Someone else refers to it, or you know, a lot of people as acupuncture without the needles, right. and it's just kind of finding those different blockages, right? We all end up, people don't even realize how much our energy affects what's going on. And people always are like, oh, energy, you know, so woo woo. But then you you notice and you hear people say stuff like their energy was weird or, you know, they came in, they had really bad energy. And it's like, they don't even notice that that's what they're paying attention to a lot of the time. And Reiki as a practitioner, I always like to tell people, it's not anything magical that we're doing. We're not like sending healing into you or there's something coming out of our hands. It's just a hands-on, most most practitioners are hands, or I don't know, most, I'm a hands-on practitioner. Some are hands above and around. What we're doing essentially is helping you to bring attention to different, like I said, different blockages, things that are stuck things that are um, causing any mental, emotional, or physical distress um, or dis-ease without even realizing it, and just utilizing your intention and attention in those spaces to be able to get that energy free-flowing, right? Yeah. I always want to put the power into the, into the client of knowing like it's activating your own ability to heal. Yeah. Yeah. I've experienced it, um, with Reiki and a few other modalities that are, you know, energy work. And I found that I am actually working probably in some ways harder than the healer during the session, because I'm working with them to, Mm -hmm. tune into the energy, find the blockages and then release it. And I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's incredibly powerful, I think, when you have that symbiotic relationship between the healer and the the healer, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, <laughs> the client, exactly. the patient. <laughs> the healy, I like that. <laughs> um, and that's exactly it. It's like, we're not doing it for you. We're just, we're like, we're like going along for the ride with you sort of, and just really helping you to identify that. And that's what I love so much about, about that that particular healing modality, but with crystals, it's sort of a, I always just smile because people, whenever, whenever I talk about it, they're like, Oh God, crystals. <laughs> Another oh, LA God. girl. I know. Yeah. Exactly. As I'm sitting here, almost all my crystals <laughs> in my house. For me, I mean, here's the thing, right? They grow from the earth. They're part yeah. of, they, they actually grow and develop. They're like, you know, it's like, if you look at a plant, a plant is alive. It's, you know, it's very very different, but they hold energy in a way that we don't even notice or realize. And outside of that, you know, with, with Reiki too, and with the way that we're connecting, um, I always put them, I always put them together. I usually do crystals and Reiki together when I, when I work with clients, because 
I think that they just go hand in hand in the sense that we're working with our vibrations, right? Everyone talks about like good energy, bad energy, high vibration, low vibration. And it's just an additional tool to kind of help you to tune in because that's all it is. It's giving that attention to yourself. I think people just don't even realize like once you quiet down and you just stop moving and you stop thinking so much, you feel things in yourself that you don't even know. It's like people when they're like working, 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 and they could keep going for as long as they, you know, as long as they have that stamina. But the second they slow down, they're exhausted and they feel pain they didn't know was there. And they have, you know, those like little things. And I think that that's such a heart, that's such a big part of it. And then with the crystals as well is there's healing properties with them. But as much as you buy into it, you get out of it. Right. So, and I think that remaining open and receptive, they all represent something different. And I think that's just the, like the sort of like talisman aspect of it is so important. Like you grab something, you hold on to it, you know, like even with like, I have like crystal rings on right now. Like, yeah. I'm wearing this, a moon ring. Right yeah. <laughs> I love it. And so like, this is like, this is black tourmaline. And this is actually one of the first things that really got me into crystals. It was a gift from my mom when I was, when I w- was sick and um, she tourmaline is like for protection and like clearing mm. negativity. And it was just like this immediate, like, okay, there is a representation out there with all of these beautiful rocks that you can just connect with. yeah. And that is, like I said, it's just, you know, knowing that these things represent these, these different properties, it just sort of, it it just guides you, I think in the right mm-hmm. direction. And that is such a, that to me just is, is so accessible. And I agree with you though. You have to buy into it in order for it to be a tool for you and, and powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think Part of it is just like you said, it's a representation that when we hold that in our minds, that allows us to like magnify the things that we're trying to attract into our lives. Right. And Mm -hmm. so like, you know, in the case of protection, you're sort of putting this mental imprint into your mind that, okay, like I'm protected. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. you manifest that, right? Like you, you essentially Mm -hmm. bring that into reality and so, exactly. and the crystal, it's an amplifier, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's, that's so well said. Those, those modalities are like my, are my, my favorites. And then yoga nidra is a meditation and everybody gets really freaked out about it because everyone's like, oh, yoga, yoga, yoga. And he, that is essentially, you know, all meditation is yoga. Yoga nidra means yogic sleep. And so what it is, is it's rest and relaxation meditation. Is It's all about being able to really give yourself that permission to rest. You get mm-hmm. your brainwaves slow down to the same states as if you're asleep. So you get that same rejuvenation and that same um, regeneration that yeah. you get when you're in deep sleep. We think we're relaxing half the time when we're actually not. We're not giving our our bodies and our minds and our spirit and our emotions that opportunity to really heal when we're relaxing, when we're plopped in front of the TV, when we are, you know, even when we're when we're scrolling on our phones, even sometimes when we're reading, like we're not actually we're we're gaining things and we're experiencing something, but we're not actually resting and relaxing. And so yoga nidra is giving you that chance to just let go of your physical body and to just drop into this really beautiful, blissful state of conscious awareness while you're just in this. I mean, it's, it's a really special practice. I'm obsessed with it. I've started doing it. I do it sometimes at night just before I go to bed, but I, what I've actually loved more than anything is doing it in the middle of the day or like any time during my day where I just, you know, when you're feeling like I, I need a nap and I have found that listening to a yoga nidra meditation on one of the apps for just even 10 minutes, but ideally like 20 to 30, it is the most rejuvenating thing. (laughs) It is so restful and there's now so much research. I don't know if you follow like Huberman Lab or any of these things. I saw, and- I saw him speak a couple oh. of months ago at the, oh. um, the I want to say it was the Wiltern, 
Okay. He he was awesome. Incredible. And he's all about the, he calls it non-sleep deep rest, Mm -hmm. NSDR. And Mm -hmm. it is so important. And I've always been really bad about finding moments to rest during the day. I've never really been a napper, but I have really transformed my life in many ways just by taking those 20 minutes when I really feel like I need it. And it not only is it incredibly restful, but it also helps your nighttime sleep. 100%. Because it it allows your body to relax Mm -hmm. and, and shift out of our fight or flight, which we're in all the time. And so when we're able to let go of our physical bodies, we're able to actually give in and we're actually able to drop into that rest. And, um, you know, it is, it's so interesting. The afternoon is a really awesome time for me to do it as well. And, you know, I find, and this is a big thing. This is just kind of a side note with all of this is like with meditation and any practice that you do, there's going to be ebbs and flows of your practice. You're not going to all of a sudden meditate and become like this expert meditator for the rest of your life. And it will always be this profound experience. There will be times where you struggle with it and there will be times where it doesn't click or you won't be able to sit with it or you won't be able to do it, we'll say. And I find that that happens with me sometimes is like you fall in and out of it because you're at different stages in your life. And I just, I think that that's really important for people to know, especially when they're getting into meditation, it will be such an incredible experience. And the more you do it, the more you get out of it, but never be discouraged, I guess, when you have those moments, when your practice like falls in and out, I have those moments, just like everybody else. I obviously get up multiple times a week in front of people and talk about these practices. And there are times where those practices don't always work for me or I can't drop into it. Or sometimes I'm just like, I don't want to. And that's okay. Because I always think people are like, you healed yourself or this practice helped to heal you. And I'm like, no, these practices are healing me and working with me all the time. We will always have experiences that cause us to have these ups and downs and cause pain to fluctuate and come back and go away and, you know, hide or heal or whatever it is, but we will always be healing. We're constantly having these ups and downs and it is just about being able to feel okay. I think with all of that, people say a lot of time, you know, there's no, there's no pleasure without pain. There's no, you know, joy without sadness. There's no, you know, black without white. There's no sun without rain. And I think that that's just such a great way to look at things. And I think that sort of circles back to what I said, you know, to you at the beginning of finding that, like that contentment, that alignment, Mm -hmm. that ease, that balance of like, all of these things are going on, but it's going to be okay. A big part of that for me is I was literally in bed for two years. I have these moments where I'm like, I don't know if anything can get worse than that. I don't think I will ever experience anything in my life that was worse than what I went through during that time. And if I can get through that, everything's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting, like sitting here with you right now, I actually moved into the apartment building. I had lived in an apartment for 10 years and I moved into the apartment building directly next door. And so I am sitting here right now and my apartment, my old apartment is directly across the window and no one one lives there still. It's, It's empty. And so talking to you about it is like, I'm looking at where I was during those two years. I mean, for time is there for a decade, but for those two years, I like, I'm looking at that window Mm -hmm. and it's like, it's so crazy to think back on that experience and that time and like knowing how, like, I just, it's almost like I'm watching a movie of myself sometimes when I like reflect on it, Mm -hmm. when I'm like looking over there and I'm like, geez, man, like (laughs) what? whoa 
And I, I almost am like, I'm really glad nobody lives there because it's <laughs> really not even because like I want, I like want it for myself, but like I have these <laughs> those moments where I'm like, that was a, that place saw some really, some pain and yeah. some darkness and it needs, it needs a minute. I know I know I spent a long time in there um and I think that that is you know as, as it is it comes back I think to the energy thing it's like that that lingers and that holds and there's just so much I think that we don't we don't always notice or tune into and I think that these practices really give us that opportunity to notice something that's that's bigger than us but also smaller than us too and there are all these little details and all these little things that unless we stop to slow down or unless we tune into this more spiritual side of ourselves or into you know vibration or frequency or whatever it is you know god the universe yeah I think it's all about just taking step back for a moment just listening and seeing like it's that whole idea of like people will listen to you talk but it's do are they hearing you right it's like right. that sort of thing where it's like you're just taking that second to be like okay what am I observing in this moment whether it's my own feelings or what's going on around me yeah and we're all connected in such an intense beautiful way that we all just have to take that time to slow down. I mean, I'm kind of like in this whole like random kind of. <laughs> no, but I think it goes I'm rambling, back to, I feel like, yeah. But it goes back to, you know, I think what meditation was initially about for you was finding this place of quiet and being able to sit with yourself, which is mm -hmm. a hard thing to do, especially when you're in, when you're going through what you were going through. But it is, I think for so many of us, we run on autopilot. Our lives are so busy. Mm -hmm. We don't yeah. really have that many opportunities to turn inward and really connect with our deepest selves. And so it seems like, you know, meditation is a tool to do that. And then some of these other modalities that you mentioned can enhance that, exactly. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so with meditation, maybe you can talk a little bit to sort of technically how it works to transmute, let's say depression or anxiety. Yeah. I mean, I think to what really happens is you're able to rewire your brain. I believe it's Jack Cornfield who he talks about if, when you're going to say it's not going to be immediate the way he describes it is is it's like taking a puppy to learn you know to like potty train a puppy okay. where you take it outside and you bring it to this the same spot every time and it'll wander away and then mm -hmm. you bring it back and then it'll wander away and you bring it back and it'll wander away and you bring it back and it's that eventually your the puppy's gonna understand that that's where it's supposed to go yeah and that's where you know, it gets praised and that's where the good happens. Mm. And because there, it's, it's learning to go back to that spot. And I think that what happens is, especially when we're, when we're doing these practices, right. There's the expression where, where the attention energy goes, energy flows. flows. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that that's, that's another really big part of it is like when we're rewiring and we're working with something, the more that we, the more that we do it, the more that our bodies, our bodies and our brains get used to it, right? It's that, that neuroplasticity of rewiring where, it, where things fire in different ways. So if I'm anxious every single time I go to the airport, yeah. you know, when I would fly home or something like that, taking that time to rewire my thoughts and my experiences with that, where I mm. use meditation as a, okay, I know that this is something that makes me anxious every single time I do it. Let me take that moment to release it, to take that time to shift my thoughts, right? This is okay. I'm going to be fine if I do this. 
I don't need to be anxious when I'm doing this. What's causing this anxiety? Where is it coming from? And taking that, it all of a sudden starts to rewire so that that anxiety doesn't happen. I can shift out of my fight or flight if I just take the time to really calm my my nervous system, right? To find those practices for me that find that balance and alignment. And that's how it starts to develop and how it starts to rewire by practice, by commitment, by by just really being able to, to just allow your mind to work in that way. Going back to the airport example, is it something that you would actually meditate on that experience? Like, would you sit and think about the experience of going to the airport and thinking about the things about that, that bring you anxiety? Or is it just taking the kind of grounding practice of meditation and using it as a tool to lessen your anxiety when you're actually like going to the airport? Honestly, for me, what it was, was sort of that self-inquiry. Why am I so freaked out going to the airport? Mm -hmm. Is it what's causing it and what ended up happening and why I would, you know, this being the example, I would sit in meditation. I would use it, whether it was actively informal practice where I am meditating, whether it was journaling, whether it was reflection, whether it was just sitting with myself, whether it was just thinking, you know what I mean? I figured out that the reason why I was anxious going to the airport, I was I was so used to my cocoon, my safe space. I know when I'm in my my home and in my apartment, I can express all of this pain and I can be in the safe space where there's no judgment. Nobody knows what's happening when I'm in here. The minute I step out is where my nervous system starts to freak out because okay. now I have to do all of these things and and find this balance or be afraid of what people are going to think and say. And I noticed that the biggest part or when I would experience the most anxiety in going to the airport or something like that was when I was flying back home to see my family. And it wasn't because, you know, people are always like, oh, my family, I have the, like, <laughs> it's almost a joke how amazing my family is. Like, if like, people are always like, I have great family. Mine is a whole nother level. <laughs> Your mom sounds are. amazing. My mom, like, it's my... <laughs> We could do a whole podcast on my mom. What happened was I would have these moments of so much shame, so much guilt, so much fear, so much like I was so sedentary during that time. I gained a lot of weight. So I didn't look like I had always looked my whole life and I didn't feel confident. I didn't feel pretty. I didn't feel whatever. People knew I was going through this. And so, so much shame. And so like I knew, okay, when I get to the airport, I've got to get on an airplane that's going to take me to see these people. And then what happens? what are these people going to think? Am I disappointing these people? Have I, I am so ashamed of this. Are they going to, are they going to see me? And just, you know, all of those feelings that, that I think was, I had to kind of sit with those bigger questions and issues and all that in order for me to release my anxiety. Well, I I commend you for, you know, having the courage to, to sit with it and, and, and to work through it and really take the time to release your fears, because that's ultimately kind of what it sounds like was a, a, at the root of a lot of it was just a yeah, fear and that- judgment. And, and I think that's so relatable. So many of us can have had that experience. Yeah. And I think it sits there all the time, no matter what, no matter how, how good your life looks or how much you feel great or you know there's always going to be something that's going to cause that fear or that sense of um not good enough I think and so it's finding the finding the what is good enough within yourself to then highlight that I know that I that I in where I how far I've come like everyone talks about how much joy and light I bring. And that's been said to me so much over the last couple of years. I lived so much for so long in what I refer to as darkness. And when people make those comments to me about bringing light and being a light, that's, that's the whole point of my life. I think was being able 
to come out of the darkness and not just coming into the light, but being the light. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I can hear yeah. it in your voice yeah. and I, I didn't know you during that time in your life, but I think, I think people's voice is, is a big indicator. I was actually just listening to a recording of a, an astrology reading that I had done a few years <laughs> yeah. ago and, you know, I had saved the recording and I was going back to see like, okay, what, you know, how did this all come to I love fruition? that. Yeah. Yeah. Very fun. And it was recorded during a time in my life that was very dark and I can hear in my voice, just in this phone call with this astrologer, I can hear the darkness and mm-hmm. the sadness and the the fear and all of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now I'm doing a podcast and I, I'm hoping my voice sounds very different from that. Right. But I can hear it in yours. And, and like I said, I didn't know you before, but it's definitely remarkable. Um, Thank you. A month ago, I um, hit four years of sobriety and I was going through all of these photos of like the last four years of myself. And I went all the way back to that weekend in San Diego and you see it in my face. You see it behind, and I showed it to some, to my boss actually, um, one of the owners at the Mindry, and she goes, "You just you can see it. There's like nothing behind your eyes, mm. and it's that she's like, there's just, it's just blank." Yeah, and then you put it, and I did, I did, you know, one of those like things where you put side by side, <laughs> yeah, side by side, and you look at them, and it is just it and that's exactly what it is it's like I physically look so much better than I did right then, but but it's about is, I know what the, is like, luminosity it. in your eyes yeah and it's, and it's that same it's exactly what you're saying about the voice yeah mm, yeah wow wow so I know that we are almost out of time here and you know I just wanted to give you a chance to share you know, what, what it is that you're kind of currently working on. I had the chance to participate in one of your recent, uh, ceremonies you led at the Mindry. And I know you're leading these, I think you call them share circles. Tell us a little bit about that. I'm kind of curious about the concept of a group practice Mm -hmm. versus a more traditional individual meditation practice. Mm -hmm. You know, in teaching at the Mindry, all of my classes are group classes. And I mean, I do private sessions and things like that as well. But the, and at any of the workshops that I do, I always refer to those workshops as, or describe them as having share circles, right? Because I want people to interact with each other. I don't think I'm the only teacher that does this. It's very, it's definitely possible. But I walk into the room when I teach a class and I am, I'm not like, Hey guys, welcome to meditation. I'm like, Hey guys, what's going on? How's the day going? What's up? Let's have this moment at the beginning of my crystal class on Fridays. I leave the light on for the first 15 minutes. Um, so everyone interacts with each other. We talk, I want to know how people are feeling because, and it's really interesting too, is because no one will speak at the beginning where I'm like, right. how's everybody doing? What's going on? How's everyone feeling? And no one will say anything. And then one person will be like, I'm having a really hard time or I'm really anxious. And then someone else will be like, me too. Oh my God. It's everything's really heavy right now. But as soon as people open up and start talking to each other, you feel that, that, you know, what we talked about, about what was going on at that den, that sense of like, I'm not the only one. Yeah. I'm not the only person that's feeling this way. And I think that, you know, with my workshops and like the Halloween ceremony that we did, I did a New Year's Eve one. And I always start with the opportunity for people to share. One of the very first circles that I participated in was at the den and it was a huge group. It was like 40 people. It was crazy. And we all shared the whole point was it being, it, it was a share circle. That was the whole point of it. And it was very rooted in like traditional um, Native American ceremony. Right. Mm. And um, the, there were three women who all just all in different parts of the circle and just went through a divorce. 
I'm going through a divorce. Mm. I think I'm about to get divorced. (laughs) At the end, they all went over to each other and they started talking and exchanged contact information. Uh And I was sitting there watching this and I was like, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to bring people together. And it does that group, group healing creates just such a safe space and creates such a container that allows for you to do deeper work because all of a sudden you feel safe with all these strangers. Yeah. And it's so, I think it's, it makes total sense. It's not a common experience that we get to have in our modern day lives. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, you can find support from your friends or family, but there is something different about connecting with total strangers. And there's, Mm -hmm. in some ways, there's a safety there because it's like, well, no one here really knows me. So I can actually just share. And there's like, not that much judgment or like, I don't really care what these people think anyway. And Mm -hmm. it kind of allows people, I think, that safe space to actually be more vulnerable and open up and share. And then when they see other people doing it and and they have these experiences where they find somebody else who's actually going through something very similar, it just opens up this beautiful connection. And again, I think that's, it's so rare to find that Mm -hmm. today. And so it's, it's a really, really special experience. Well, this was so wonderful. I'm so glad that you joined me today. And, and so for those that are in LA, Mm -hmm. you tell us how people can work with you in person and then also any, any ways to connect with you online. Of course. So I am at the Mindry all the time. You can find me anywhere in Malibu. You also can find me. My Instagram is live. It's not the best, but you guys can find me there anytime. Everything is under Chrissy MJ Anderson. Um, So my website as well, ChrissyMJAnderson.com. I just, you know, my biggest thing, I always have told people that in terms of making this transition into this into this job and, and into wanting to help people is if I can just help some one person in the entire world not feel the way that I felt during my experience, then I've done anything and everything that I have needed to do in this lifetime. Oh my gosh, wonderful. Well, you are just such a light and thank you again <laughs> for joining me. I love this conversation. Thank you, my dear. I loved it as well.